Welcome to this edition of Joffrey Maverick Memories Podcast, a companion project for the documentary film Joffrey Mavericks of American Dance. This series will highlight personal stories from the alumni of the Joffrey Ballet Company during its more than 50-year history to give a unique inside perspective on what it was like to be part of this groundbreaking American dance company. Today's guest is Jody Gates, a former principal ballerina and choreographer who danced with the Joffrey Ballet from 1983 to 1995. Today she stages and produces the ballets of William Forsythe, and she is an award-winning choreographer in her own right. She is also a professor of dance at the University of California, Irvine, and founder and artistic director of the Laguna Dance Festival in California. Now, you were with the Joffrey for about 14 years. You joined in 1983, I think? Well, um, I was in Joffrey, too, from 81 to 83. Robert Joffrey discovered me in California when I was about 15 years old and asked me to move to New York City. And then I, in 19, the very beginning uh, of 1983, in January, I joined the Jaffa Ballet. I was there until 95, until the company went, uh, had left New York, and mm-hmm. then it found its new home in Chicago. And in fact, I continued dancing with the Joffrey Ballet when it first moved to Chicago until about 1998, because many of the dancers um, had left and dispersed, and they needed a few of us that danced the principal roles to come back and, and keep the company going. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just starting out in Chicago and, and making, making a new home. And so I, uh, for about three years, came and performed with the company, even though I was a principal at Pennsylvania Ballet at the same time. Right. And so I guess some of these were uh, works that you had danced a lot, um, maybe that you were most familiar with, maybe our exactly. Pino pieces. Exactly. Sure. Um, Ket and Tons, Light Rain, um, also Rodeo. I came back and did the Cowgirl. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, many of the Arpino works and uh, a few of the iconic works. And you played a, a big role in Billboard. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. We, um, I uh, was fortunate enough to be about a part of that, and it was a whole other, you know, era for the company, and it did save the company for many years there before we did eventually leave New York City. But uh, yes, I had a wonderful time with that, and in our duet from the Peter Pucci section was the very first duet to be performed and actually choreographed. It was sort of a sampler, and I believe we premiered it in San Francisco at the War Memorial Opera House. I think it was San Francisco. might have been the Music Center in L.A. actually that got the first performance of that duet. Right. Um, and, uh, and it was quite successful, and it was um, you know, just a whole lot of fun, a, a different you know, sort of rock and roll input on you know, infusing the ballet idiom into you know, what was just incredible music. I'm a huge fan of Prince anyhow, so... It was, an, it was a blast to be a part of. Now, I'm just going to, to touch briefly on the transition after Joffrey's death and, and going into the Arpino years. And as a dancer, as somebody part of the company, were you aware of things that were going on internally that were, you know, I, I know that most of that stuff was behind closed doors and maybe you weren't privy to so much of it, but for yourself, you know, did you feel fear that the company was going to collapse or that um, that they would oust Gerald Arpino and bring in someone maybe from the outside that, that would be completely new and really change the whole dynamic of the company? 
Well, I think as part of that transition, once the, the loss of Robert Joffrey hit the company, you know, first of all, there was a long mourning process and uh, sort of this surreal yeah, feeling that we all had uh, mm-hmm. a good couple of years uh, for us to understand that we had lost our leader. And uh, absolutely there was that transition was very tough on everyone, and we could feel it, even if we didn't know exactly what was happening. On the administrative level, um, we knew that we weren't sure what the vision was supposed to be. Um, Robert Joffrey had a very clear vision, and now that he was gone, now what? So absolutely, there was a sense of um, you know, uncertainty and not feeling completely stable. And we saw you know, Mr. Arpino rise to the occasion and, and try to continue to make work and still lead. So it was, it was a very tricky, tricky time. And, um, you know, it was uh, the company kept fighting and it kept trying to think of new ways to inspire. But it was hard on everyone, absolutely. What does it mean by saying that you're a neoclassical ballet choreographer? What's neoclassical ballet? Well, in fact, I consider myself post-neoclassical. Uh, okay. Quite frankly, I've sort of co- coin phrased that as a term that repli- really responds to the fact that neoclassical to me is what George Balanchine or even dance makers such as William Forsyth uh, and um, Yuri Killian. So it's after the classical era and it's taking the classicism and pulling it apart, deconstructing and moving it beyond meaning, you know, neoclassical dance. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that makes sense. And by being post-neoclassical, I'm the next generation. Okay. So is it part of, of, of mixing different styles into, the, into dance, into ballet? Well, I, yeah, I, well, I, I think that we're informed by who we work with and the roles that we've danced. And, for example, at the Joffrey Ballet, I was there for almost 15 years, and, uh, I, you know, I had the luxury of working with so many amazing choreographers as well as doing a lot of the reconstructions and, and full lengths that uh, we took on. And so all of that information informed who I am today. And uh, whether it be techniques, styles, um, you know, in in innovative, inventive, new works. I think that, you know, that makes the choreographer I am today. Yeah. I was um, listening to, I think it was Adam Sklute maybe talking about working with Mark Morris very early in when M- Morris started working with the Joffrey and saying, um, in a way, they auditioned for the piece, but he was looking for, I don't know, a different not not a body style, but I guess a way of moving that he had in mind what he wanted to do, but it was very much informed by also who he had chosen to be in it. So it wasn't a fully formed piece, which I also understand that Gerald Arpino worked that way. Absolutely. That- I think that's very common. I know I can, I remember Mark Morris, I was in that work. It was called Esteemed Guest. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunately picked to be in the work. Uh, it was the same with James Kadelka. It was the same with William Forsyth. It was the same with Laura Dean. It was the same with Peter Pucci. It was the same with Gerald Arpino. Mm-hmm. And that is that most choreographers, uh, choreographers, when they go into a room, you know, you don't know many of these dancers. Although Mr. Arpino, he fortunately had this great palette of dancers that he knew very well. But choreographers that were brought in. 
um, really rely, again, on how they see the dancers respond to their movement style. And, uh, again, that, that takes sometimes a day or two, and there's a bit of an audition process because all of the dancers in the company may learn a phrase or two, not just how they technically accomplish the phrase, but also how the movement of the body translates and does it inform the choreographer that, oh, this dancer gets my style. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a common, common way to, uh, you know, audition dancers for when you come in and make a work. And, you know, great experiences happened uh, for me. As an example, I, I tended to uh, be a better contemporary dancer and working with those choreographers. So I uh, was able to pick up the movement. I remember all of those Mark Morris and Char- Charlie Moulton and all of those great choreographers that came in and made original work on us. Now, how did you find something like Sacre de Printemps, which was completely different from pretty much everything that ballet has to offer? <laughs> um, uh, because you were only one of, I think, four at the time that had danced The Chosen One. Um, and that's from everyone that I talked to who was in the piece, um, was definitely a different style to have to learn. And that was very set. Like, you had to do it the way it was intended not right. you weren't putting your style into it at all right well and that's the other side of the coin um, I could say the same thing about green table mm-hmm. it's very specific and is very specific right of spring was unique because it was an original reconstruction we were the very very first and I remember specifically being in that rehearsal room with Beatrice Rodriguez and Carol Valesky and myself it was just the three of us learning the chosen one and uh, how we were looking at the score and the pictures and the, you know, listening to the conversations that Millicent Hudson and Kenneth Archer, you know, relayed to us about how this solo should be and will be. And um, it was a very specific task that we had, and it was definitely incredibly detailed and stylistic. It was challenging to the point of being grueling because of all of the rotation being in rather than out. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the music alone is daunting. So, you know, I learned so much from that experience, seeing that we had an entire, gosh, I can't remember, a, a, many weeks um, to, to reconstruct that piece. And, you know, I, I, for me, now when I look back at it, I, I, you know, it was a part of history that, that I was in that cast. And I, um, at the time, I didn't know it. Uh, you know, at the time we were just trying our best to accomplish this this sort of you know piece of history. But now, when I see it and I uh, you know see that the film, I realize that that uh, not only did I learn that style and and hopefully that helped my discipline and my my practice and dance, but I also now can share that when I work with other students um, and or professional dancers. In fact, I know the music now better than I would have because we did dissect it so clearly while learning the Rite of Spring. And I'm making my own Rite of Spring currently. Mm. It will be performed next year. And it's, it's a lot of fun because I'm able to sort of recall what that was like and the pounding and the, and the beats and the constant counting. And, you know, of course, my movement is quite different than, than you know, that original work. But um, it definitely uh, aided and, and inspired me. Right, and did you tour with that as well? Did you were you part oh, of the cast that went to Paris? 
I was yes, and I performed at the uh, at that at the Champs Elysees Theater and did the Chosen One, actually there. And so I was very fortunate. Uh, I was in the original cast, mm-hmm. and I was the one of the third cast Chosen One. So I was very very fortunate uh, to have that experience and be a part of that process. That I mean, when when Carol Valesky was telling me that story about having going back to the theater where it was originally debuted and it had just been restored back to its original 1913 interior and um, you know that, that it caused a riot and everything when it first came out, it was just you know must have been like walking back in time a little bit of, of performing oh, that. I mean, the rush that I felt while performing was definitely real. Um, I, uh, that energy still lives in those theaters, I believe. And it was, a, you know, it was a scandal in May of, you know, 1913. And, and I imagined myself, I put myself there and I felt quite trans, transcend transcended, you know, and while doing those performances, and the audience appreciated us much more when we performed it in the 80s than they right. did in 1913. <laughs> I thought the same thing when I performed um, in St. Petersburg, and also at the, Mar- at the Mariinsky. I performed mm-hmm. as part of Frankfurt Ballet after I had left the Joffrey Ballet, and I felt the, the, the rush of historical value, everything that had happened prior to me being there on that stage. And I think it was the same in Paris. It was as though all the spirits from the past sort of kind of haunt the wings of the of the stage and theater. It's fantastic. I mean, it really is. It was quite an experience to go back there. Do you feel that you were um, very close to Robert Joffrey? But you know, you came up into the company not too long, five years or so before his death. Did you uh, have much dealings with him or classes or? Um, he wasn't really choreographed. Oh, yes. I mean, you know, I think when I think of Robert Joffrey, I think about his three-hour-long ballet classes and how, you know, he was <laughs> a master teacher. I, it was, you know, when I think back and, um, you know, how he would not just teach us, but he really, he, he was a dance historian, and he wanted us to know what's the difference between Cecchetti and Vaganova. You know, what you know, and so he would teach port bras that would show the difference between the styles and the techniques. Um, and, you know, uh, he was proud to be a part of that and respectful. And it was just, it, taking his class was, you know, was a very difficult class. And um, I, I am very fortunate that I had those five years with him. I also was very fortunate to have done roles in which you know, he was in the studio. It was him, myself, Lynn Seymour, and the ballet master working on for example, I was uh, chosen to do five Brahms waltzes in the manner of Isadora Duncan, which was a solo created by Frederick Ashton, who uh, he choreographed it for Lynn Seymour. And Lynn Seymour came to the Joffrey and chose me to perform it. And I remember being in that studio with her, Robert Joffrey, and the ballet master. It was just us, and it was a closed studio door. And to have him coach me and to have that experience um, you know, it was freeing. It was uh, something that you know, I'll never forget. Um, because not only was he a great ballet master teacher, but he absolutely understood the importance of bringing in, for example, a Frederick Ashton and a John Krenko and all of the, the, the master dance makers and, and make sure that we really understood the integrity of their choreographic intent. He wanted us to understand 
how best we could accomplish these, these roles, whether it be in Ashton, Forsyth, Killian, you know, their stylistic approach to dance movement. Um, and he held that in high regard, and he really understood how to help us mm-hmm. and mentor us and sort of guide and direct us. I mean, he was a fearless leader and probably one of the great visionaries, you know, absolutely of our time, and if not in the last 150 years. Um, you know, he made a difference. I look at all the companies now that are very, very successful. You know, these regional companies that are that are at the top of their game, like uh, Pacific Northwest and San Francisco Ballet and Houston Ballet and Boston Ballet and uh, Ballet West now. And, you know, these companies are all inspired by what Robert Joffrey started as his curation and historian and knowing all the great new choreographers to pluck from. You know, that was, he was the first to do that. Right. And also, a lot of those companies you just listed are headed by Joffrey alums. <laughs> that, oh, uh, yeah. You know, not Absolutely. only did he, he ins- inspire that within his dancers, but they carry it now on to their endeavors and, and you know, sort oh, of yeah. perpetuate it. We are, you know, I'm a dance maker. I'm also a professor of dance. I also stage the works of William Forsythe. Um, I have my own nonprofit organization, which is very, very successful. It's called the Laguna Dance Festival, and I mm-hmm. curate um, dance companies as well as create educational components. I mean, we're all leaders in some way. Um, many, many of us, I mean, um, were touched by him and sort of that gold fairy dust that Robert Joffrey had. You know, it was like he just had this magical fairy dust that he just dropped on us. Little did we know. Right. And, um, yeah, that's how I look at it. And, you know, I was touched by that. And somehow, you know, we all shimmer. We have something to say and we have an original voice and an opinion on our art form. And, uh, you know, many, many of us from my generation before and uh, before me as well as after me have gone on to be you know, leaders in the field. Something that I feel very proud of and something that Robert Joffrey infused in me was to be myself as a, as a artist. And, and I would have never thought at that time I would become a choreographer or a dance maker. And, you know, I feel very thankful to him that, you know, I'm one of the few American female choreographers out there that are, is actually making work on, on companies. And, and when we say post-neoclassical or neoclassical work, that I'm actually making these ballets. And it's due to him. You know, and due to his guidance and, and his curation and all the people that we were able to work with. So I, I think that, that to me, I, you know, much, much of who I am is because of Robert Joffrey. Thank you for listening to this edition of our podcast. Visit our website at www.joffreymovie.com to sign up and receive a free series of digital photo books entitled Joffrey Maverick Moments. Find us on Facebook, Joffrey Ballet Movie. Follow us on Twitter, at Joffrey Movie. And view our video clips on our YouTube channel, Joffrey Movie.